0: Hey, good morning, Life Bridge. How are we? Good. (laughs) Hi, everybody. How are we doing? Hey, my name's Jim McCormick. Uh, My wife, my family, and I are uh, relatively new, just became Vision Partners not too long ago. We are so excited to be here. Um, We chose this church because we found that it actually is what it says it is on the website. Isn't it awesome when that actually happens? So here's what it says that we are a Christ-centered, relational, community-focused body of Christ, and uh, we're, we're growing to really love it here. We get to serve on the conference team. I'll say more about our conference here in just uh, a minute. So you are so welcome here. Uh, we are praying that today's message, and uh, from God's word and also the worship through song, uh, that we find purpose beyond ourselves, purpose beyond ourselves today. So an effective way to uh, see through our vision uh, this year of being all in, all together is My Life Bridge, My Life Bridge. Make sure you stay informed so you can stay connected in community through my mylifebridge.church. Let me make a plug. You heard it mentioned in the scrolling uh, announcements, but tune in to John's devotionals, those daily devotionals, and go deeper with the study of God's Word and the content that he is presenting. It's so, so helpful. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your generosity. If you call Life Bridge home, uh, or if you're a regular attender, uh, we believe we're called to be generous with our resources, but also with our attitudes. And that word In scripture when it's used is not just what are we thinking and how do we look what's the facial expression it's all encompassing it's all about our speech our mindset our actions our posture toward God and toward our fellow uh, believers and those that are still lost so it's our time our talents and our treasure so thanks for your generosity we cannot do this ministry without us together being generous with our money Let's talk vision update. Our 21-22 vision is all in, all together. All in, all together. If you break that down into smaller parts, we're looking at belonging together, serving together, and then growing together. Uh, So cue those conference slides, guys. Growing is not an arrival point. This is something that God's really been working on me about You don't get to a point where you've grown, and that's it, I'm done growing. We continue to grow in community. It's an ongoing journey. It's the growth culture that we desire uh, at our church. So this conference that's coming up next week starts a week from today. Uh, It's called the Reconstruct Conference. You guys have cards either that you're sitting on or they're next to you. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. Would you go ahead and actually look at that and consider filling it out? while I'm speaking. I used to teach middle school history theology. I'm used to people not looking at me while I'm speaking. So it's okay. You can can start filling your things out right now, and then you'll have an opportunity to just pass those to the middle aisle, and we'll collect those for you here in just a minute. Okay, confession time real quick. This is my first conference. We are relatively new, but I did not, our family did not make conference time as high a priority as I wish we had forgive me, life bridge, I have sinned. So much guilt, so much, so much shame, so much regret. Why? Why should we, why should you make this such a priority? Because as we take everything that we've been learning over the past several weeks, and whether this is your first time or you've been with us, it still works for you. We want to grow in truth together. We want to grow in truth together. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I got some legit reasons why I can't be there. I get it. I get it. Let me give you some reasons why your reasons are not good. Child care is provided. Child care is provided. In fact, not just child care for everything that we're doing, but also we will provide some food uh, for you and your family for everything that we are doing. You can check out the, the specific schedule on that card. Also, this is a unique Opportunity. This is not just a remix of the Sunday content. Uh, this is brand new but still very relatable and very relevant content uh, that's biblically based for what we're living through in this cultural moment. So there's your why. There's your why. Now an action item. You take those cards if you would. Finish filling those out. And then if you want to turn these in later. But you can turn them in now. You can pass them to the middle aisle, and Pastor John's going to come and pick those up. I will make another pass, and I'll pick them up as I walk down the aisle. All right? So he's coming, and I'm going to hand it off to Pastor John Adams. Thanks, y'all. Thanks,
1: Jim. Jim gets to say y'all because he's from Texas. All right. Yeah, so uh, conference week is coming up. And we really encourage all of you guys to do your best to be there if you can. As we've really taken pretty much everything else off the calendar to just move to this and encourage all of us to be at uh, less things, but we're going to do fewer things better. And we really encourage everybody to be there if we can. So, conference week, mark it down on your calendar. If you can get there, get there. I mean, <laughs> I think it's going to be good. I'm... Making it some of this stuff, so I hope it's going to be good. <laughs> like after this sermon, I don't think I'm going to go. All right, let's pray and we'll jump into the sermon. Father, Lord, we love you. We just praise you. And Lord, we want to grow together. We want to grow in our understanding of you, our knowledge of who you are, but not just that, Lord, our, our relationship with you. We want to know you more. Lord, we want to know your presence, be closer to you. And Father, we want you to form us into the image of Christ, to make us more like Jesus. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, our campaign uh, that we've been talking about for quite a long time, uh, weeks and weeks and weeks, is called Reconstruct. And what we're talking about, uh, so last week I told you I took the graphic off, because I'm like, ah, oh, you've, you've seen it before, but then I had to explain it all anyways. So I'm like, what's the point? I might as well just go through the graphic again, and I'll probably move faster through it if you guys can look and see what I'm talking about. So here's our our just, whatever, Christian person. Um, They have a lot of Christ-like traits, uh, but along with those Christ-like traits are blind spots and untrue beliefs. So things that they're either not aware of or untrue beliefs that they have about uh, who God is, what scripture says about who they are, uh, Jesus, the kingdom of God, all this stuff. So we've got all of these within us, all of us. They're more informed by culture than they are by Jesus and by Scripture. And none of us are immune from this. If you think you are, you're not. (laughs) That, that I think I am immune from this, is, again, an influence of culture on you. Um, The problem is when these start to get blended together, and then our untrue beliefs and our blind spots, they all kind of become our, quote-unquote, Christianity to us. they're all a part of what it means to be Christian, but really in our concept, but they're more cultural than Christian, and they're all kind of in there together. So what we have to do is deconstruct some of those untrue beliefs, or when we recognize a blind spot, usually through life circumstances or events or things happening, we do need to ask questions. And when I say deconstruct, I just mean like be curious, ask questions, like be willing to pursue the truth. Uh, and and rethink some things that we have assumed to be true uh, according to Scripture, or we think according to Scripture, but are more according to culture than Scripture. So we have to question those and then rebuild them around the truth of Christ and what Scripture really says and what Jesus teaches. And when we do, what we end up doing is taking these uh, blind spots, these untrue beliefs, and turning them into true Christ-centered faith. And this takes time. It usually happens when life events are kind of thrown at us unexpectedly, and then we're struck with, oh, man, I've had this blind spot or this untrue belief for a long time, and I need to rethink it. So we want to encourage you to do that and to do that well, keeping Scripture and Jesus as our authority. So today what we're talking about is individualism for, I called it community, really struggled coming up with the title for this one, because here's what I mean, all right? Uh, individualism for a biblically-based understanding of the self as a part of the collective whole. How's that for a title? <laughs> it's terrible, right? It's a terrible title, so I went with individualism for community, um, but that's what I mean when I say that. I mean an overemphasis on individualism to the neglect of the collective whole and our collective identity or our community identity. Both are needed. We need an individual, a concept of who we are as an individual. We need to know uh, the, the individual message of salvation, by grace, through faith. and we need to present our faith to God and express our faith and trust in Him. that individually, that happens. But we also have to have a sense that uh, we are not just alone on an island. We're called to exist in community. And how do we then live in community? Uh, Our cultural emphasis is much more towards the individualism side of things than towards a collective identity or community identity side of things. And to get at that, I think a quick story is probably the best way to illustrate it. Um, One of the podcasts that I've linked you to this week is in the Holy Post, and Sky Jatani, he interviews uh, a professor named E. You know how professors are. They just like... Their pen names, they just go with the, their first initial. It's, he goes by E. Randolph Richards. That's how you know you've made it as a professor, is when you can, you're known as E. Randolph Richards. Um, so this, he was formerly a missionary, and he was working in a foreign country. And he was having dinner at a church member's house after, after church one Sunday. And he could see them kind of talking in their native language so he couldn't understand in the kitchen in the other room. Um, and they were talking very seriously, and he didn't know what they were saying. But eventually they kind of came in, and they uh, expressed to him, "Like, could you help us with this dilemma that we have? We have a really big problem in the church. They were leaders in the church. Like, we don't know what to do. Um, a, a couple in the church has sinned, and we don't know. We would love your input on how we should handle it. And he's like, you know, I can't really speak into the situation if I don't know what they have done. And... So they told him the story. And essentially what this couple did was eloped. They they went and got married on their own, someplace else, apart from the community. And in their minds, this was a a grievous sin. They're like, should we, should we, like, kick them out of the church? Like, what, what do we do? And it's in that moment that he recognized his individualism bias. That his culture was completely different from theirs. Okay, In our culture, we hear a story like that and we're like, let's write a book. This is a movie. This is the stuff we write songs and movies about and we celebrate it. We celebrate the person who who has unshackled themselves from their former life or their community and found love and they were willing to pursue it at all costs. Even if it meant running away because it's a love story. And it's so that he would leave everybody to go. That's our cultural bias. For them, they're like, the expectation was for them to meet with their parents, for both of them to get to know their families, to gain their family's approval, to gain their broader community and their church's approval before they pursued this major step in their life so that they could all speak wisdom into their lives. And for them to elope was a great betrayal of their, of their family's trust and their community's trust. So, first we have to admit that we do have a very strong individualism bias, that we, cel- we would celebrate something like that, and for them, in that culture, I say that only to illustrate that our culture is very different from a lot of other collectivist cultures around the world, and oftentimes it takes as we've been saying throughout this whole campaign, it takes somebody from outside of our culture to point out our blind spots that we often don't realize. So to be totally clear, individualism in our, commun- in our society has, in the West has brought really good things that I'm not, I'm not encouraging us to move away from. Things like human dignity, the value and the worth of each individual person, In some collectivist cultures, they would readily sacrifice one individual for the good of the whole if they thought that that would be better for the whole community. We don't do that here. And that's right. And that is a uh, based, I think, on, in my perception, is based on a Christian ethic. And that's what the West has developed that from. So I think that's absolutely true and necessary. I'm not advocating that we move away from that. Individualism has brought a lot of good to our society. But for us, it's the overemphasis on individualism that has ended up causing a lot of problems and distorted a lot about our Christian faith. It's led to three things. There's more than this, but these are the three that I'm emphasizing today. And uh, there, are, there are others that I have emphasized a great deal over the last year or so. First is a hyper individualized gospel. Individualism has led us to a hyper individualized sense of the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, if I were to say the gospel to you, some of you in here are you all are imagining probably three things. One sense is the four gospels, right? The Gospel: Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. I was reading the Gospels the other day. I mean, I was reading one of those four books. Another sense is, uh, someone shared the gospel with me. right? That means when we're using that, we're using it in the sense of the salvation message the message that God loves you, that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead, and it is by faith and trust in him that we are then justified and made right before God, and that he has taken our sin on the cross, that individual sense of the gospel. There's a third sense, and most likely most of you are thinking of those too. There's a third sense in which the Bible talks about the gospel, and that is the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. This is how Jesus most often uses the gospel, especially in the gospel of Matthew. Three of the four times that Jesus says the word gospel is in this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. And when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom, it is a cosmic gospel that Christ is Lord over all creation, that he is going to return one day and make all things new and uh, remake heaven and earth. So in our hyper-individualized culture, if, if we don't have that third sense of the gospel, we're missing out on a lot of what Jesus had to say. We're missing out on a lot of how we are supposed to live as followers of Christ. And we'll discuss that more later. The second thing that it has done, and this isn't unique to Christian circles, but it shouldn't be in Christian circles as it is in the rest of American culture, but the erosion of authority erosion of authority. Tim Keller, he, in just a brilliant talk, talks about how the individual has become the locus of authority. We're the first culture in history (laughs) that the individual has become the locus of authority. Whereas truth is no longer out there to be sought after and discovered, no truth is in here to be uncovered and found out, that we ourselves become the center of authority. Truth and authority. Philosopher Charles Taylor, he describes our age as the age of authenticity. And that's what he means, that truth must be found inside of ourselves for us to be authentic to who we really are. It is a violation, then, of our authenticity for us to allow any outside factor, whether it's our family, our society, previous generations, even our faith, the Bible, Jesus, to impose a sense of identity upon us. No, we must discover it ourselves and live out of it within ourselves. And so what that has done well, furthermore, like if we think about some of the messages that we hear from culture, just if you're not sold yet that this is something we (laughs) a problem that we have in the church. Think of how many times you hear phrases like be yourself. Right? Which there's truth to that, right? But we take it too far. Think for yourself. How many times have you seen on Facebook this year? Don't be a sheep, right? Be true to yourself. Or in the words of Lil Nas, I think it's Lil Nas X, right? Uh, Can't nobody tell me nothing. Christy, you know what I'm talking about. What we... <laughs> I'm sorry to call you out. Um, <laughs> but this sense that I'm the one authority. I will discover truth in and of myself because I have an internet connection and a computer. We're not looking for truth in any anyone else, like Jesus, for example. <laughs> Anything else, like Scripture, we look for it within ourselves. One of the articles that I've linked you to this week, the title is, We Used to Look to Institutions to Form Us, Now They Must Affirm Us. So we used to look to the church, we used to look to uh, our community to, used to look to scripture to challenge us, inform us. Now we look at them to just affirm what we already think. And again, that was symptomatic of us becoming, as an individual, the locus of authority. And what's led to is people kind of picking and choosing whatever aspects of truth and morality that they like from various worldviews. So, for example, lots of folks who who have a secular sexual ethic. Um, That's based not on scripture, but on the culture. We have a Christian view, but we're going to keep the Christian view of God's forgiveness and mercy and salvation, because I like that part. But I'm not going to accept God's justice and God's uh, wrath and his commitment to holiness, because those are uncomfortable all through scripture. And we're going to couple that with some eastern view of the soul as a disembodied spirit, and we have this escapist mentality that comes along with that, which again we'll talk about later. And then the final thing is that this has led to a consumerism within the church. The, as a symptom of looking for institutions not to form us, but to affirm us, Church, for many, has become a place of self-actualization, which, again, i linked you to do another article that says this. Church has become a place of self-actualization rather than a place of spiritual formation. So again, we're looking to the church to uh, discover who we are and to help us meet the needs that we perceive we have instead of uh, the church to form us. And that changes how we view scriptures that challenge us, sermons that challenge us, uh, how we reach out to people for prayer uh, are we looking for are we looking for them to just already uh, to help us realize something about ourselves or are we looking for them to help make us more like Christ and this is not just individuals within the church it's not just uh, it's not just you, this is me as well. And this is the whole, as Sky Jatani calls, the evangelical industrial complex. It's this big marketing thing. Like as consumers, where we have consumerism kind of crept into the church, and uh, from our individualist perspective, there's a huge market for, like, uh, book deals, for things like conference speaking, for all of this uh, podcasts right now, which I— Get a lot of value from, and I super appreciate. But there's a huge market out there for it, and when what that does is, from the pastor side of things, from my perspective, um, it's a real temptation for me to not just give the people what they want, right? Feed the consumers build a bigger church, I'll get the conference speaking invites, I'll get the book deals then, and I'll expand my reach. I can even justify it as like a really good thing to expand my reach through podcasts and through all of these other avenues of getting the good news of the gospel out there. But really, I would have to water down and distort a lot of the truth that scripture has to say if I were to do that. So this consumerism mentality, it's not just people attending church, it is pastors, it is the entire thing. We have this consumerist ideology, and it has crept into our church culture. There's one story in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus encounters this Roman centurion, and it is this beautiful little story that some of it kind of goes over our head because it's, because it's in a different culture, we don't really see it in the same way. But it emphasizes all three of those. All three of those distortions uh, to the gospel, to the whole truth of Jesus, that um, we just talked about. All three of them are in here. So, let's read it. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion. A centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of a hundred soldiers. And again, at this time, uh, again, I haven't said this yesterday. Um, At this time, there uh, were—Rome was occupying uh, the nation of Israel. So Rome is the occupying force. Uh, They're in Capernaum, and the Jewish people weren't cool with that. The Israelites hated that Rome was there. And so this guy represented their subjugation. There were many Jewish factions that wanted to go to war with Rome and overthrow them at this time that were willing to kill this man because he was a Roman centurion. So, this Roman centurion, he came to Jesus, he asked for help. Lord, he said. Gospel writers, they do this a lot, and and we we need to see it. Even how he addresses Jesus, Lord. He doesn't address him as teacher or rabbi. He's emphasizing here that he views Jesus as of a higher social status than he is. He calls him Lord. And remember, this guy is a powerful dude. He's got a hundred soldiers at his command. If you want something done, send the army. (laughs) We'll get it done. If you're causing disruptions, we're going to arrest you. We'll throw you in jail. We might kill you. We have the authority and the power to do that. This guy has great power. And even he recognizes Jesus is far superior to him. So he calls him Lord. My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. You'll notice in this exchange that he doesn't ask for anything. (laughs) This guy doesn't even ask Jesus for anything. He is, essentially, but the word that comes to mind in this exchange is he's unassuming. He's completely unassuming. And he's very humble in his approach to Jesus. Contra our consumerist Christian culture today. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Remember, he just said, my servant is suffering, and he's paralyzed, and Jesus is the one who offers to come and heal him. And again, we miss this because we don't live in a collectivist culture like they did, but in this culture, somebody who is of of a higher social status would never go to somebody of a lower social status. So that's where, like in the the parable of the prodigal son, when the father runs to his son when he sees him far off— that is completely countercultural. That doesn't happen. Like, no, no. If Jesus is the Lord, if Jesus is of a higher social status than you, you bring your sick servant to him. He's busy. He's doing other more important stuff. If you want to meet with him, go to him. That's how the culture would interpret this. So when Jesus says, Shall I come and heal him? Like, whoa. <laughs> That's already super countercultural, super compassionate, super loving on the part of Jesus. The centurion replied, Lord. Again, emphasis, Lord. Matthew is making it obvious. This guy views Jesus as his Lord, as his superior. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. What you could be getting at is either that, what I just mentioned, how Jesus should not come to him because he is of a higher social status, or he doesn't want Jesus to come and be, uh, if he's in, if Jesus were to enter his house, he would be, ceremonially unclean according to the Old Testament Jewish law. So he's like out of respect for you, don't come. It's one or both of those in play here that this guy suggests Jesus doesn't need to come into his house. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. But he also knows that Jesus has great power. That Jesus doesn't even have to be there to heal his servant. He can just say the word and it would happen. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Again, note the emphasis on authority in this passage. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And you guys can come on up. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Again, remember, Roman centurion, occupying force. His job is war, and Jesus <laughs> says, "This man has greater faith than anyone that he's found in Israel." Israel is supposed to be the chosen people of God, who have the prophets, who have the Old Testament scriptures, who have been waiting and looking for the Messiah for centuries, <sighs> and they missed it. And this guy has greater faith than anyone in Israel. Because again, he says, "Jesus is Lord." He knows Jesus can heal. He's put his faith in him. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So Now here, Jesus is expanding the, the vision of the gospel. He's referring to the gospel in this third sense. The, the kingdom of heaven, the good news of Jesus, is that his community, his people, the people of God is expanding just from the people of Israel. It is growing to all the Gentiles, to all of the earth, And it is done by individual expressions of faith, but now it is growing. And the people of Israel who are are incriminated here in verse 12, the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What he's getting at is you're not a part of God's people just by your uh, lineage being traced back to Abraham. You are a part of the people of God by faith in Jesus. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. Let's pray, then we're going to sing, and I'll come back up and apply this in a few moments. Lord, God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples in scripture of those who, like this centurion, have great faith and trust in you. Lord, would you strengthen our faith? Would you help us to see, Lord, what it means to follow you? to truly consider all things as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, to view you as our Lord, to get this cosmic picture of the gospel and Lord, not to be just consumers, but to belong. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And while we're singing, we have prayer available in the back. Please, take, take this opportunity. If you need prayer for anything, head back there and pray while we're singing together. Let's stand and sing.
2: Let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign. We are here for you. We are here for you. your bread, come from heaven, fill our hearts with your light. we are here for you, we are here for you.
3: worthy of our praise. God, I confess times that I have forgotten how great you are, Lord, where I put myself at the center of what it means to to live out faithfully, to follow you, Lord. God, help us this morning to refocus around Jesus, around the gospel of the kingdom, around you, God, around your will for our lives, for this world. In Jesus' name.
2: Your presence is all I need. It's all I want and all I seek and without it. Without it there's no meaning Your presence is the air I bring The song I sing And the love I need And without it Without it I'm not living So I will so So
3: there will be. God, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. God, we thank you. That we can rest in that, Lord, in a a world where there's so much changing, so much we don't know, God, that we can trust in one thing. That's you. You alone are worthy. "I will exalt. I will exalt you,
2: Lord. I will exalt." Like you, and no one beside you, you alone are worthy of all praise.
1: Lord, we praise you. ways that we can posture ourselves on the outside, genuinely, Lord, from our heart. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. Only you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat for a few moments. <clears throat> All right, so, to apply this passage about the Roman centurion coming to Jesus and to dull the effects of individualism in our culture, first thing I think is we have to grasp the cosmic nature of the kingdom of God. That Jesus is indeed Lord of your life, but he is also Lord over everything. Colossians 1 makes that clear. There's not Forget who said this. It's coming to my mind. There's not one square inch of all the universe over which Christ does not declare mine. He owns it all. He is lord over all of it. So our concept of the gospel—it has to be bigger. Now, don't mishear me. In all three of these, there's a lot of nuance, so please don't mishear me. And if you have questions, please send me an email afterwards, john at Church. I'd love to expound on this more if you have further questions. but. Personal salvation is at the heart of this kingdom message of Jesus. It is the core of how Jesus' kingdom is meant to expand. The good news, the gospel of his kingdom, it expands through individuals who have professed their faith and trust in Jesus, who have received the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is producing fruit in their life. And through that, through who these people are becoming, who followers of Jesus become, we begin to influence our communities. We begin to influence our churches and our homes and our neighborhoods and for Jesus to look more like the kingdom of God. A community under the control of God, living God's way with God's people at the heart of it. That is at the core of it. So don't mishear me. We need to put our faith and trust in Jesus first and believe that he died on the cross for our sins and personal salvation is found in no other name than Christ. That is at the heart of it. But it doesn't stop there. We can't reduce it down to that. It is much bigger. When Christ returns, he will establish his kingdom over the entire earth. He will make heaven and earth new. And when we reduce it down to personal salvation, we just miss so much of the glory of Jesus when we think of him being lord and ruler of all creation over all the universe that just blows our mind Jesus looks more glorious more uh, more amazing than we could ever imagine the universe is huge and Jesus owns all of it he created it all through him it's unreal And again, it is not less than personal salvation, but it is more than personal salvation. And we reduce it down to personal salvation. What we do is we just view the gospel and the good news of Jesus as our get out of hell free card. And so when we do that, who cares if society is in turmoil? We can live in our little isolated holy huddle and forget about the rest of it. Who cares about the poor? Who cares about children who don't have a place to live? Who cares about racism in America? Who cares about the environment? Let's exploit it for all it's worth. It's all going to burn anyways. It's terrible theology. It's bad theology. And when we boil it down to just our get-out-of-hell free card, that's where we go. Who cares about the rest of it? We can just exist in our holy huddles and leave the rest of the world to figure it out for themselves. It's not the gospel of the kingdom. It's not the good news of Jesus that the church is supposed to be representing to the world. And then next, to all the effect of consumerism that individualism produces in our culture, one of our main emphasis this year is to belong together as a community. Not in like a weird way, but just... (laughs) Sense this belonging, that that we need one another, that we need community, we need the church, our church family. We say family not lightly because that's what we're getting after with this idea is when you belong together, you don't fear the hard conversations. You don't fear that this person is going to leave. You can challenge one another. And now, again, nuance here, don't mishear me with this consumerism talk. Say, if you need help, to not reach out because you feel like you're being a consumer. That's not it. When you belong together, when you need help, you feel comfortable reaching out and asking for help, whether it's prayer, whether it's financial needs, whatever. You feel comfortable asking for that. And others in the community love to help when they can. And when you're doing well and somebody else is hurting, then you can be the one to help because you belong together. And your sense isn't just, I'm here to get uh, to, for my self-actualization or to get something out of this community and then be done with it so that if they challenge me, I'm out. No, we're, we're here to form one another, to look more like Jesus together and to glorify God together and we have this concept of the church as here to help form us, to make us more like Jesus, we can belong. Now, if you're really paying attention to the big picture of the campaign, you know I've told you not to be tribal, (laughs) and now I'm telling you not to be individualistic. What do I do, man? (laughs) How do I think about this? Paul says it so well in Romans 12, his concept of the body of Christ. He expounds it. So this is his favorite analogy for the church, and it's such a good one. It says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So here Paul affirms our individual identity, right? We are each a member of the body of Christ, that we have to affirm our individual identity and know who we are and know God ha- how God has gifted us to participate and be a part of his community. We have to know that we are a child of God and believe all of those truths that Scripture tells us about who we are. But then we don't just belong to ourselves, we belong to the community, each to one another. And this body is such a good example. My eye. I got smoked in the eye with a basketball yesterday. Lost my contact. It it, uh, hurt, but I was fine. I'm good. That's why I'm wearing the glasses today. My eye is its own organ, Right? But my eye doesn't function if it doesn't have blood. (laughs) Where does blood come from? It comes from the oxygen, it gets oxygenated in your lungs, and then your heart pumps it through your blood vessels all to your eye, to every other part of your body. Your body doesn't work, each organ doesn't work individually. It's a collective whole. That's such a good analogy for how we need to think of ourselves as belonging together and being a part of a community. And when my eye hurt, that's all I could think about. My eye really hurts. So the rest of my body was all kind of focused on that. Then finally, we need to keep Jesus as the locus of authority. Again, when I say that, I mean the underlying assumption of where do we look for truth? Where do we look for morality, for purpose and meaning? Do Do we look in and of ourselves to be authentic to who we are? Do we live our truth? Or do we look to Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith? Our baseline assumption has to be we find truth, we find morality, we find meaning in Jesus and in Him alone. I, said that, I don't know if I said it at this service, but if we try to take bits and pieces from all these different religions and all these different worldviews to form our theology and our concept of faith, what we end up doing is completely rejecting a lot of what Jesus said. But we want to take certain things of what Jesus said. But we reject so much. Just listen to these few things. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Jesus says, Come to me. Normally, what was customary in this culture is come to a teaching, come come learn the Torah, come learn in the synagogue what the Old Testament says, what the prophet said, and this is how we'll discern truth. That's what people would say. Jesus, he he changes that. He says, come to me. When they refer to a yoke, it was the yoke of, of the Torah and following the Old Testament law. Jesus talks about his yoke. I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If we look at the I am statements of Jesus, John 14, 6, I'm not throwing these up on the screen, I'm just going to rapid fire. So just just hear the big overall theme of what I'm saying here and what, what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness will have the light of life. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. The last one, he's claiming to be God. Taking all of those, does it sound like Jesus has left it up to us to decide what's true for me? He hasn't. He hasn't given us that option. If we take anything that Jesus says, we must take all of what Jesus says and base our life on Him. And we shouldn't fear to do this because Jesus is good, and His words are true. And He proved it that He loves you by dying for you and rising from. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, we find truth, we find meaning, we find morality in you. Jesus, help us to abide in you, to know you more. As Paul says, we would be willing to consider everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing you. Jesus, you are our Lord. Help us to know you more. Would your spirit just awaken something in us? Something, Lord, that we didn't know was there. But, Lord, we sense your presence, and in doing so, we know that we were made for you. We we're not made to be an individualist on an island. We we're made to be in community. Most of all, we were made to be in you. Lord, help us find our identity in you in your church and Lord, to live that abundant life that you have called us to. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together. Again, if you guys need prayer, there's prayer available.
2: My righteousness, oh God, how I need you.
3: Yes, Lord. Can we acknowledge that we are in desperate need of you, in need of your presence, in need of your goodness, in need of your power in our lives. God, as we're surrounded by things in our world that tell us to put more and more focus on ourselves, would you help us? Would you lead us by your Spirit to continue to keep you at the center, to keep Jesus at the center of our lives? God, that we would not be believers in an individual gospel followers of an individual gospel that's just about me. Lord, but we would have a bigger vision that's grounded in your truth, in your kingdom, in seeking after your kingdom. We love you. We love you, God, and we thank you, Jesus, that you are making all things new that you've renewed our hearts, you've renewed our lives, you are renewing this world. You've invited us into that story, and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for worshiping with us. If you need prayer, uh, don't hesitate to, um, there's prayer in back, or you can grab one of uh, the pastors as well. You have a wonderful week.